Go ahead and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Thank you. We're going to be starting there today. I'm really excited, you guys. So in my Bible, or I need to turn to Colossians 3. Went too far. There we go. In my Bible, my sermon today starts here in verse 12. And we're almost done with the book. How exciting is that? We've been in Colossians since September, I think. It's going to be really good. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dive into the text for today. Colossians 3.12 Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and, if one is a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for this text today. We ask that we would hear from you. That even now we would quiet our hearts and listen to your spirit speaking to us. May we be a people that are marked by your truth, by the message you have for us. We love you, Lord. We genuinely just love you so much. Amen. Okay, so... Because we're so late in the book, because we've covered so much ground, I want to do just a brief recap of where we've been to help us understand where we're at today of the book of Colossians. So go ahead and flip back a couple pages to the opening of the letter. So, or what am I saying? Flip back in pages. Scroll up, okay? Uh, Paul starts off with a, with a verse, with a greeting. He says, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ, he says who he is and he's, who it's addressed to, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. And then he thanks God for them. He says, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for who you are and what you've done and what you're becoming. And then he has this prayer over them. And this is kind of the hint of what the book of Colossians is going to be all about. And it's actually the benediction that we read at the end of the gathering every week. It's Colossians 1, 9 through 14. I'm going to read it right now as well as it will be read at the end. So, may you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, this is the first heart that we see from Paul about what he's hoping to accomplish in this letter. He wants us to be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. So to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want you to be filled with this knowledge and this wisdom so that your actions are living out your knowledge. Then he keeps going. Uh, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. At Orchard's Church, we are rooted in Jesus, together bearing fruit. That's what we get to do. And that's what this is about. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So from this passage, we we begin to gain an understanding of what Paul's heart is for the Colossian church, about what he's after as he's addressing the Colossian church. Okay, let's then 
comes one of the most beautiful poems in the Bible. It's the Christ poem in Colossians. This is Colossians 1.15. And he talks about this person, Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. You ever wonder? You look out of the night sky and say, where is God? What is God like? You say, oh my goodness, I've got four books that are all about what Jesus did. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. I can read about God. I can see what it was like when God became human. It's huge. It's amazing. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. I mean, this poem is is beautiful. And then what we see Paul do is he then reflects on his own life what he ought to do because of who Jesus is. So here's the structure. There's a greeting. There's thanksgiving. Then there's the prayer, the hope for the Colossians. And then the Christ poem. And the Christ poem, he says, this is who we're talking about. This is who our Lord is. Therefore, this is how I'm going to live. And then we jump down to 2 verse 6. And we see Paul then turning the tables and saying, now Colossians, this is how you ought to then live because of who Jesus is. And this is the section that we've been in for months now. Verse 6, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. If Jesus is your Lord, you live like he's your king. If you live in a land, you live, let's say, in the kingdom of are there any, uh, oh, Saudi Arabia. Maybe that's not the most pleasant example. Um, say you live in the kingdom of England, and the year is 1066, okay? You are a subject to the king. You're subject to the king's laws. You live according to the rule and reign of the king. Based off of, and guess what? There are good kings and there are bad kings. When there's a good king, think life is good. When there's a bad king, life's not so good. You live according to the precepts of the king. And that's what he's saying here. You receive Jesus as your king, walk like that. Live like he's the king of your life. What about 2.15 and 16? It says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He's saying Jesus has won the battle. He's beaten the bad guys. Verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink. Why? Because you're, you're with the king, and he won the battle. You see what Paul is doing here is that he's defining us and our actions as a people based on who Jesus is. Let's keep going. What about 2.20? If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you are still alive to the world, do you submit to its regulations? If with Christ you died to your Western materialistic worldview, why do you still live like it? He's asking these these hard-hitting questions. He's saying, why, if you've died with Christ, if Jesus is your Lord, why are you living like he's not? What about 3.1? If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Do you see how tightly knit we are with Jesus throughout this whole book? We're, We're in it with Jesus. He's our Lord. He's our King. What about then... 
what about here, where we're at now? Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Paul is making an appeal to us based on our identity as God's chosen ones, as God's holy ones, as God's beloved ones. And then we live out of our identity. That's what we do as humans. We live out of our identities. We do things based out of our identity. But there's, this is a unique identity because this is the identity that pairs us with Jesus, how we are in Christ. We are together with Christ. We are in Christ. If you read the epistles, Paul talks about us being in Christ over and over and over and over again. Saying this is your core identity. This is the truest thing about you. This is, the, this is the foundation that you build your life on and that you live out of. Now, that's kind of a hard thing for me to stomach because I actually have a lot of identities. Not like a, not like a, a, a disorder, like multiple personalities, but I mean, I've got a lot of identities. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I haven't even gotten out of my house yet. Do you see how many identities I've got? I'm a pastor, I'm a friend, I'm a worker, I'm an employee, I'm not a boss, I don't have anyone who works for me. Yes. Rick, can you just keep that, where are you, Rick? You just keep that responsibility forever, man, I love you, thank you. I, yeah, we have all these identities, and I, I think what Paul is doing in this passage is again alluding over and over and over that the truest thing about us is that we are in Christ that we are the chosen ones. We are the beloved of God. And we see it in this passage. I'm just going to read it again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. We're called chosen. We're called holy. We're called loved ones. You know, Jesus was called all three of those things in the gospels. Here in, uh, in Luke 23, 35, he's called the chosen one. In uh, Mark 1, he's called a holy one. In Matthew 3.17, a voice comes from above and says, this is my son whom I love, the beloved, the loved one. So we're seeing even in the names that we're called, we're being called names that Jesus was called. We are in Christ. We are together with Christ. And even if we go on to the next verse, it says, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so must you also forgive. Because Jesus forgives, we forgive. Does that make sense? How he goes, that's where we go. He's our king, we follow his lead. What he does, we do. Jesus loves people really, really well. He loves people that are foreign to him. He loves people that are detestable to society. How awkward Let's just, let's just play pretend, play pretend for a moment right now. Let's say that at the men's lunch after this, all the guys are hanging out, we're eating. Let's say a, and I don't know if this person exists, maybe let's say there was a well-known prostitute in Sherwood, okay? And she came up to me at the lunch and dumped perfume on my feet and started washing my feet with her hair. Would that be a scandal? Would anyone be scandalized? I mean, just be honest. Yes. Oh my goodness, yes. And Jesus loves this woman. 
He loves her. I go, man, okay. I need to be like Jesus, but like for real. I need to actually own it and do it. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a cool thing to be like, yeah, I'm trying to be like Jesus, but like, like being like Jesus. Because of who he is, that's how I need to be. That's a big ask. It's not easy. N.T. Wright has this great quote, and I thought about putting up on the screen, but it's obnoxiously long, kind of like he is. Um, and so I'm just going to read it. So let's just, if it helps you to close your eyes and listen, I'm going to read this quote, and it's about what it means to be in Christ. When Paul speaks of us as being in Christ, the center of what he means is that, as in some Jewish thought, the king represents his people so that what happens to him happens to them. Does that make sense? So what happens to the king happens to the people. And what is true of him is true of them. Think of David fighting Goliath. David was representing the nation of Israel. He had already been anointed as king. And it wasn't long after his victory before people realized that he was the one who would lead Israel into God's future. He's standing in front of the nation. He's representing Israel. And he right continues. So with us, Jesus has won the decisive victory over the oldest and darkest enemy of all. And if we are in him, in Christ, we shall discover step by step what that means. Last week, Rick taught on putting to death, and he listed five things. Actually, there was two sets of five. The first is, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. It's the first set of five. And then he has another set of five. Um, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Just put these things to death. Get them out of your life. You don't need them. And then we get to our passage, and he makes an appeal based out of our identity and says, I want you to live this way. Put on then, this is clothing language, like put on the jersey. Take off the old jersey. You don't play for that team anymore. Put on this jersey. And here's the jersey I want you to put on. Five things. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. This is what he's asking of us. This is what we do when Jesus is our king, is we have these things, compassionate hearts. There's this running joke in our house that I'm Captain Compassion. I, I'm not. <laughs> uh, my wife is Captain Compassion. I am less so, and I'm very grateful for her in my life. Um, I actually, I took a personality test last year, and I got the results, and I showed them to Rick and Jillian, and they both laughed in my face. Uh, one of the things in the results says... Uh, has a low tolerance for incompetence, <laughs> which I think is like one of probably my worst trait. I think that's awful. Um, compassion, put on compassionate heart. Daniel, be compassionate. Okay, I will try. Because honestly, compassion isn't my first response. Often, my first, or too often, far too often, my first response is judgment. My first response is belittling, maybe. My first response sounds nothing like Jesus. So then the question arises, if that's my identity, how do I learn to live in this new identity that I have of being in Christ? 
August 19th, 2011. At the beginning of the day, I was not married. At the end of the day, I was married. The moment I got married, raise your hand if you think I was the perfect husband. Jillian, are you in the room? Oh, she's not here. Okay. She can't vouch. I mean, her hand would have flown up if she was in here. Guaranteed. (laughs) Two people. Jeff, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, Yeah, I was definitely the perfect husband. Yeah. I was not by a long shot. But that was my identity. That was my new identity. Was I less of a husband because I wasn't a perfect husband? No. I was fully a husband. I spent the last 10 years growing and learning about what does it mean to be a husband. And the way you do that is make mistakes, learn, grow, go back, try again. Learn, grow, go back, try again. Over and over and over and over. We, we, we practice, we repeat, and then it becomes a part of our norm. We grow. And this identity of being in Christ becomes more and more a part of our norm, becomes deeper and deeper into who we are. But the reality is we actually have competing identities. I listed all the identities, right? Son, father, husband. What happens when those identities come in conflict with one another? Have you ever met a man who places his son identity over his husband identity? Who's happy about that? Mama. Who's not happy about that? The wife. Often, these identities don't come in conflict. But when they do, the order that we have these identities in matters deeply. And Paul's appeal throughout the New Testament is Christ is your identity. Being the chosen one, being the beloved, holy, that is your identity. That is who you are. And how often am I making decisions in my own life based off of other identities? What if if my identity of being a hard, diligent worker is somehow deeper to who I am than that? I've met lots of pastors like that, actually. And their families are sacrificed on the altar of ministry. That's dangerous. What if, what if, what if providing for my family, like have, being a provider, is a deeper identity? What if, what if loving my country is a deeper identity? Now, I think a lot of these identities, actually, they work well together. The Bible talks a lot about not being slothful, right? The Bible talks about not being lazy. The Bible talks about obeying the king. These are good things. What I'm I'm trying to tackle today is kind of like deep transmission level work in our hearts and who we are. Is what happens when being like Jesus hits up against another deeply held identity? What do I do? That's it's kind of a hard question to answer, kind of a hard question to ask. And I think often I can find 
One of, one of the easiest ways to find out what your norms are, what your worldview is, what your culture is like, is finding out what offends you. If someone does something that offends you, you go, oh, that's a, that's a cultural worldview thing for me. Like, and, and sometimes we don't think about these things. Like, what if you were at a wedding and the bride was up front and then the mother of the groom walked the groom down? Would you notice that? Would that come into your consciousness at all? That certainly would mine. I'd be like, these people are being weird. Strange. Now, is what they would be doing wrong? I mean, it's super weird, you guys. You guys are way kinder than I am. That's super weird. But what we do, and this is what happens when cultures, when, when you have people from two different cultures come together, is you say, oh, I do things this way. Well, that's weird. I do things this way. And often our first response is one of that's other, that's different, so that must be wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. I do things the right way. You must do things the wrong way because that way is different. So the question is, what happens when the person on the other side of the table is Jesus? Say, oh man, you love people in a way that I don't think I'm there yet. And I really want to be. What do I do? And Paul says, well, why don't you try putting on a compassionate heart? I go, okay. Okay. Because the way of Jesus is, it's so contrary to the culture that we live in. In so many ways. And Jesus said, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And here we are in the wealthiest nation to ever exist on the face of the planet. In a very wealthy state. In one of the wealthiest cities in this state. And I've got conver- I have, we have conversations. We're constantly building culture. We're constantly interacting and making things normal. Talking about money, talking about rent, talking about painting, talking about groceries, talking about whatever. And none of this is bad. We just, it's, it's, it's how we create our culture, and it's normal. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I do this, I come to the Bible and I cherry-pick the things that work well with that identity, this American identity I have. I say, that one's good, that one doesn't come into conflict, that one's good, that one's good, that one's good. Those ones are awkward, and I'm going to leave them out. You know, when I moved here from Albania, which... still to this day, is the poorest nation in Europe. Um, I remember walking into, I don't remember, I was with the Stanleys. It probably would have been Target, something like that. Walked into Target, and it's just jarring. Like, just jarring. Like, I would just like some orange juice. (laughs) Why (laughs) are there so many kinds? There's, you've got pulp, you've got pulp-free, You've got some pulp, whatever nonsense that is. Who was <laughs> like, who was looking at the pulp levels at Target? I was like, you know what I need? <laughs> I want some pulp, not too much, which is <laughs> so ridiculous. I mean, we've got so many options. A wall of toothbrushes. Do you guys know why there's a wall of toothbrushes? Because they sell. They wouldn't be there. They didn't sell. 
we're buying them. In Albania, you walk up to a, you walk into a store, there's a hole in the wall, and you guess there's a store there. You walk in, there's a guy behind the counter watching TV who is so annoyed that you have disrupted his day. <laughs> and say, can I have a toothbrush? And he goes, yeah. And he grabs you the only toothbrush and then hands it to you. And you go, this is my life, thank you. <laughs> the question is, how do we build a kingdom culture based around our identity of being in Jesus? Because that's, what, that's what's going on here, is we're building a community right now. This is our community. And I pray that our community looks like this. This is actually a two-part section. Uh, Rick's going to cover the second part next week. But look at this. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And then when it comes to patience, Paul throws something in there. He goes, because he knows patience is hard. If one has a complaint against another, oh, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. This is not the American way. The American way is I don't like this person, and so I'm, not, I'm just going to drop that relationship. I'm not going to do it anymore. I don't like this church. I'll just go to another church. The, the sticking it out aspect of the forgiving each other. If you have a complaint against someone, forgive them. If I have a complaint against someone, forgive them. Why? I've been forgiven. That's my identity. I'm a forgiven one. So I forgive. That's what Jesus did. And more and more, what I would like is for us, remember we talked about how do you own an identity? How do I become a better husband? By practicing it over and over and over again. That's what we get to do every week we gather. We get to practice being like Jesus with each other over and over and over again. We get to do that in small groups. We can do that in communities. We can do that at youth group. We can do that all over the place. And we practice being like Jesus more and more and more. So it becomes deeper and deeper in our core identity. And the more it becomes deeper in our core identity, the more I think we're going to notice things in our culture that rub up against that identity. And the more we're going to go, oh, hey, maybe I need to do things differently. Maybe I need to love here. Maybe I don't need to judge here. What would Jesus do here? What is my first reaction here? I'm feeling a really strong emotion about whatever this is. Why am I feeling that really strong emotion about whatever this is? What would Jesus do? And a, a quick tip is in verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the secret sauce. Is that a song from the 60s or 70s, Love is a Secret Sauce? Okay, well, someone go back in time and write it because I feel like that's a great song title. Love is what binds it all together. Is my marriage with my wife, is with me being an imperfect husband going to work if there's not love? Oh. If we're not choosing to love? Is being in a church community or a small group going to work if there's not love? No. No. Do you know why we love? Because he loved us first. 
And so when we look out into a dark and broken world, family, let's not look with judgment. Let's look with compassionate hearts. Do you know who Jesus got angry at in the New Testament? People like me. For knowing the truth and then being hypocritical. Do you know who you looked at with compassion? The world. And that's what we get to do. We get to be the people of compassion who are humble, who are meek, who are patient, who are loving and kind. Because that's, that's who Jesus is and that's who then we get to be. Yeah. This is such a hard... This is such a hard message to, um, to conclude with because basically the homework is like looking, like do some soul searching, do some self-searching, some identifying, like what, who am I? What is, what is the deepest part of me? I had a friend um, define idolatry for me as what you need to be okay for you to be okay. What do you need to be okay for you to be okay? Do you need your marriage to be okay for you to be okay? What about your kid's health? Do you need that to be okay for you to be okay? What about your job? By the way, I just want to say, marriage, kids, work, all gifts from God. Really, really good things. We're talking about order of priority here. Can you go through the darkest night and say, my lips will praise you, Lord? And the more and more we make being in Jesus our deepest identity, the more and more we're going to step into that reality. No matter what brokenness happens in our life, no matter what brokenness is out in the world, we wake up and we praise God because we love him and we know him and he is our light and he is our love. Yeah, I don't, I'm not feeling like this is super easy. Anyone feeling like, yeah, I got this? <laughs> no, this is tough. But I think it's really, really worthwhile. I'm just dreaming about this community in 10 years reaching such, because guys, I've been here like a year and a half and the levels of growth and maturity and beauty I've seen in hearts and minds and faces here is just phenomenal. It's so encouraging. And the growth that's happened in my life because of you guys is incredible. I mean, this family growing together, loving this world because Jesus loved us. I mean, there is no cap on what Jesus can do. Amen? Amen. Let's worship together.